Anyway, hopefully you got a glow stick, right? In fact, I, I think I prepositioned, yeah, some of the big ones. You know, this is what happens. You go on Amazon. Like Thursday, you get your idea for the title, and you think, you know, the, the scripture. I will just tell you right now, as the deacons who were in my office praying before we came in today, um, the scripture makes me tremble. It is such a powerful, all scripture should make you tremble. But this, in fact, these words that we'll read today, verses uh, 5, Philippians 2, 5 through about 18, just are phenomenal words. But um, I get this idea uh, for the sermon, and uh, I think I could get some glow sticks. So you, we all have stories. Uh, Royce was up there saying that in the army, they used them to shoot at. So he was, be, be careful if you light him up, he's liable to shoot at you. You know, downrange, you put preposition. I, I was on a helicopter one night uh, doing some, you know, they take the chapel along and they drop some out. And then the next helicopter plant that uh, was training, night training, to land as if there was a body or, you know, a pilot had been shot down, some kind of search and rescue. Uh, Halloween's coming up and some of us will have them for our children, right? You probably got them dangling. You may have a necklace of them. Some of you in your college days, well, let's just not go there. But if you have children, you can have a lot of fun with these. I mean, have you ever taped something to the fan blades of your ceiling, ceiling fan? Turn the lights off and woo, 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 woo. That's pretty fun. I, I, now, I've never done this one, but I was reading all the things because my kids are grown. I got grandkids I can do some crazy stuff with. I guess you can break a bunch of them, put them in the bathtub, and then turn the lights off so the kids have a glow-in-the-dark uh, bath. Wait, I know you're going to go home and do that today, aren't you? Wait, like, oh, man, what an idea. Did, did you get one? Anybody? Oh, you got one of the big ones. The first 30 people got the big ones. Did you get one of the big ones? No? You want a big one? You want that? But what you're going to find is that you got one of the... Anybody else wants this larger one? I'm afraid to throw that far back. I'll walk it. There's one. And in, you want it? Did you get one? Here we go. I'm going to try to... Watch your eyes, everybody. There you go. Oh, how about that, man? Should should have played ball. He didn't. Um, that I have a pocket full of the small ones. So, uh, Royce, uh, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to hit blackout. But uh, no matter how large the glow stick is, there's a glass vial inside them or a plastic vial inside of them that has hydrogen peroxide. And you have to break the hydrogen peroxide vial for it to come into counter to make a chemical reaction for it's called like chemical fluorescence. I looked this word up and I still can't pronounce it, but it's a larger scientific word that basically is light producing from a chemical uh, formula, if you will, or a reaction. So, and if different ones have different colors by the dye, but you have to break it before it will shine. And that's our title this morning, is Broken to Shine. So if you have yours, hit the blackout and we're going to break them. Ready? See how we can shine. You got to shake them up a little bit. They're different colors. I don't see much glowing out there. Oh, there's some. Okay, now they're coming alive. Yeah, yeah. Some of you I know have already saved them for your kids. You're going to, I'm going to give one to my grandkid or my baby when I get home. All right. It's very good. All right, Royce, turn back on. That was about the end of that experiment. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to put them over my ears when I was preaching, you know, and that was really cool. <clears throat> Broken to shine. In the text we approach today, considered by most biblical commentators to be a hymn. Some even think that Paul borrowed the hymn from the early church, early Christian church. Some commentators say it was a hymn even that uh, is prior to Jesus coming to the world. I, 
I think it's an argument whichever way you go. We all know that we redo hymns and we put new words to tunes and, and such. But this is such a powerful passage. This hymn about Christ's humility and then his exaltation. He humbles himself and then he is lifted up. Broken to shine. Uh, Paul is actually closing out the challenge that we began way back in verse 27 of the first chapter. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then last week we talked about if you have any encouragement, being united in Christ, do all these different things. And then finally, what many of us, when we read this poetic hymn, we start with verse 6. Please don't forget verse 5, and that's where we'll begin today. So if you have your Bibles, or if you would follow along on the screen, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read what is some of the best Christology that we have in the New Testament about who Jesus is, how he was fully God, still is fully God, but gave up his seat in heaven to come and live amongst people like you and me. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I think King James says something like robbery, be stolen from God. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I think I skipped verse 10 because I, I, I like that. At the, verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And at every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Lord, forgive me for messing up what I thought shows you the humility I must have in this passage. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in, the abs in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Man, say that again in a Baptist church. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And as you hold out the word of life, in order that I might boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So too should you be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Uh, pick up a passage that I thought I had it memorized and you taught me once again that I need to practice or that I need to repeat it or I need to understand it and find my place. Lord, let us be of the same mindset, of the same behavior, of the same attitude that Jesus had as he served 
and became a servant for us. We lift up the name of Jesus, for we have confessed him as Lord and Savior, and we worship him today. And for those of us who have allowed our attitude, allowed our minds, allowed other things to cause us to drift from you, pull us back in this hour. Let us find the joy, not that the world can give, but only that Christ Jesus can give through serving him. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, just for the old timers out there, Led Zeppelin uh, had a song in the 70s. In fact, I've heard it's supposedly one of the number one rock, rock songs of all time. About a lady who claims that all that glitters is gold and she is buying a what? There you go. Newsflash, you can't buy a stairway to heaven. You can't build an elevator. You can't build a ladder to go to heaven. But Christ himself humbled himself and gave up the place of heaven to come down and be with you and me. You got to give that lady an A plus for her attitude because she thought she could buy anything with her gold. And that's where I draw my first point today is the idea that your attitude determines your altitude. Now, <clears throat> Lou reminded me that's a Peter Rabbit. Where'd you go, Lou? Yeah? Um, I, I and now we'd have to argue the dating of Peter Rabbit. Uh, Zig Ziegler, those of you who've grown up in Baptist life, Zig, Zig Ziegler was the, um, who's the positive speaking, you know, positive imaging, you know, having good attitude, Robbins? Yeah, Tony Robbins, right? He's like the grandpa of motivational speakers, but a Southern Baptist, very active, I think, at Prestonwood Baptist in Dallas for many, many years, uh, a layperson that uh, never let uh, the title of reverend hold him back from talking about Jesus. And he would say that altitude, uh, attitude determines altitude. Uh, Paul is telling us in this very first verse uh, that we have here, have, NIV says your attitude uh, it is a word that some will translate, have the mindset, have the same thinking. I like uh, the word attitude that NIV uses. Because how many times in our own lives that our parents tell us, or our teacher tell us, or our employer tell us that you got a bad attitude? You need to change your attitude. Slapping us didn't help. Well, might have for a moment. We had to do something. We had to sometimes humble ourselves for our attitudes to change. We had to see a different way. And today, as we think about attitude, determining altitude, um, actually, Ziegler borrowed that from aviation. Those of you, and, and Dean Howard is not here today, uh, who is our resident, uh, most senior pilot. In fact, I went a, a week or so ago to a presentation. I, I knew he had an extensive aviation background. I had no idea how many ratings he actually had. They put a slide up and two columns of ratings that he had. Single engine this, multi-engine that, seaplane this, glider that, helicopter that, you know, DC-3, on and on and on, all these kind of type ratings he had. But uh, we'll talk about an attitude indicator in a little bit, but that's where he borrowed that from. In, in aviation, almost every panel that you have, in every cockpit has a panel, and one of the most basic indicators you have is an altitude indicator. But our faces in our human form are our attitude indicators, right? 
I can tell you something and look at your face and know what your attitude is towards it. Our hands become our attitude indicators. You know, you start clenching your fists. Anybody ever study body language? I'm sure teachers and counselors have. You know, if you come in my office and I see you sitting like this, I know what your attitude is about sitting and seeing me and talking to me. We even do things with our eyes. Our eyes, if you've ever studied those, your eyes will go in certain directions when certain questions are asked of you. Policemen study that. And they know when they're giving you interrogation questions, if you're lying, often by where your eyes go when the question is asked. Our voices, our behaviors serve as attitude indicators. Jesus had this attitude, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He knew his relationship within the Trinity, within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which predate all things. You know, we, many that will beat on Christianity say it's a, a pluralistic or, or a multi-deism you know, type faith. It is not. There's one God who reveals himself to his followers in, in three different uh, ways. He says, being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing uh, the word would be stay low, if you will, to submit, to be the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And then there are many commentators that think Paul, this is when they go back to saying this was a hymn, that Paul added, and even death on a cross. Like singing, you know, like uh, those of you who are music musicians, you know, you sing one course and you sing it again. It's like he's like death and even death on a cross. Verse 7 said, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. How many of you men and women, when you get home, um, maybe ladies not so much with the purse, but men, uh, I, my dad every day would empty out his pockets when he came home. You know, the, the pen knife that he carried, the change, the wallet, the comb, the handkerchief, you know, whatever else. Uh, and I'm sure you, some of you feel that way when you go through a TSA checkpoint, right? You take your shoes off, you take your belt off, you, you, you take your watch, you take your rings off, you, you take your wallet out, you lose your ID when you do that. You lose your identity, if you will. And, and, and you know, those of you who have had to go back through the thing that they think you're trying to uh, do something in the airport, you get mad. Um, Jesus humbled, emptied himself for you and I. C.S. Lewis says, he gave up the position of heaven and found himself a slug in a garden. I mean, the, the, the extremes, from the name above all names, to one who would walk like you and me and suffer death, broken. How many times we have all been broken by illness, by death, broken trust, disappointment, Finances, drugs, relationships that gone, haywire. God can use that brokenness to shine through you and give you altitude in your life based on your dependence on him. He will lift you up. Now, verses 9 through 11, God is exalting Jesus. These first verses are that humiliation 
And these next verses are the exaltation. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Back to the airplane example. Let me show you this next picture. This is not a panel from one of my airplanes. Uh, those of you who know, I, I used to fly quite a bit, and you know, kids and other things come along, and you buy one airplane, and your wife finds out she's pregnant with your first child. You buy another airplane, and you find out she's pregnant with twins. You decide, no more airplanes. <laughs> We've got to stop that. So, airspeed indicator, that is the uh, artificial horizon, that one in the middle on the, on the top row. Uh, next one is your altimeter. Uh, the rate of climb is on the bottom right. In the center is your directional gyro. And then on the left is your turn bank indicator. So when you're making turns, you know, standard turns of how much the wings are doing this. And also that you're not, and I, too bad Dean's not here because he could write me up. He would say, you're such a terrible instructor. You don't know anything. What you, no. But, you know, the, the, the old joke, those, anybody here ever done any flying? Okay, so, oh, I know you've done, you've done it. Were you the guy holding the stick doing that ever? Okay, so the, the old thing with the turn bank indicator is step on the ball. If the ball gets out of those bracketed lines, you know which rudder to push because you want to get yourself, you don't want to be going through the air sideways like that. So in any event, uh, we were stationed here the first time uh, before a, a baby was born, and it's just Brendan and I, and I had flown the airplane. I bought an airplane that had not had a lot of good maintenance. It had maintenance, but it hadn't had great maintenance and hadn't been flown a lot. So on one of our trips home to Illinois, we lost the voltage uh, regulator, which made us on a night flight have no electricity. Radios quit, the rotating beacon quit, all those kind of great things quit. And luckily that old airplane had a manual landing gear. So you could take a bar and slide the bar down. It's called a Johnson bar. You could uh, put the bar down, the gears down, or put the bar up and the gear up. So we were able to land and luckily the airport we went back to had their uh, landing lights on. If you come from small airports, small towns, they don't turn the lights on. It's just like at home. Just like at home, kids, turn the lights off. I mean, it's burning electricity. So most small airports like that, on your radio, if you click your mic three times, it turns the lights on. Is that crazy? On the radio frequency for the little airport, you click it three times, it'll turn them on. Well, we got landed. So I had to leave the airplane there for it to be fixed. And for how, I can't remember. I think we took my mom's car, Brenda. I think we, we drove back here in my, one, of, one of the folks' cars. And then I drove back home to Illinois after the car was fixed. And my dad said, well, hey, no, actually, I flew commercial back. That's why Dad came back with me. I, I uh, flew back in to home commercially and got the airplane. Dad said, well, I'll, I'll go back to uh, San Antonio with you and drive, your, drive the car back. Cool. And Don, which my dad's state policeman, Don's another state policeman, had never flown in his life. He said, Don will go with me. That way I got my, you know, co-pilot coming back uh, to Illinois. So uh, we had a great day. I mean, per perfect weather. I'm a VFR pilot. I, I did some instrument training, but I'm really not IFR certified, never was. We're flying, land in Texarkana. So that's about halfway, somewhere like that between where I am in Illinois and you get to Texarkana. And we land, man, we had a little bit of lunch. You know, we think we're really cosmopolitan. We're, we're traveling, you know. We're tr we've landed at the airplane. We have our gas and we have our lunch and we're coming back home. And all of a sudden, about 45 minutes into the flight from, San from Texarkana back to San Antonio, we're actually going to Castroville. And... Uh, I noticed that the uh, one uh, in the middle is straight and level at all times. I can pull up, I can push down, and it's straight and level. Now, it's a clear day, so I really didn't need it that much, but, you know, it, it's not moving. And then uh, the one in the middle on the bottom is not moving at all either. Both of those are tied to a vacuum pump. And if the vacuum pump fails, those two quit. 
And of course, on a night flight, that'd be a terrible thing. And I leaned back after about, you know, noticing that. And I've reset. You see, there's a little knob on, on both of them. You can reset them. And I'm like, man, I'm turning the, the compass thinking, well, surely it's going to catch. Surely it's going to work. Because there's a, a bubble compass up in the top of the airplane that works in water. And I keep resetting and resetting. Nothing's happened. And finally, I told my dad, I said, we, I, I think we've lost the vacuum pump. And, and these two things, you know, it takes me 45 minutes to figure it out. But... I finally have. And Don, who my dad is allowed to set in the front seat for that leg of the flight, he goes, does it have anything to do with this instrument over here? And on the far right is the vacuum pump gauge that is dropped to zero. He said, it's been like that for about 30 minutes, Cliff. Okay, so maybe I'm not a trained observer. But I wonder today if the vacuum pump of your faith has failed, and you don't realize that you're off course. Everything looks like you're on course. Everything looks like you're straight and level. But you've lost this mechanism, this thing, this, this spiritual relationship that should keep you straight and level, climbing because of your attitude, gaining altitude with him. Zig Ziglar actually said it this way. Uh, I'll give you the exact one. Your attitude, not your aptitude will determine your altitude. In fact, I can't bring that guy's name up without giving you, and there's a list. If you Google him, you'll find like 20. He was a TV personality. He was a national, a global speaker. But here are some of his top ones. And I just want to share these with you because you got it. Now you go home. Some of you are, some of you already got your phones out. You're Googling Zig Ziglar. I love this one. Remember that failure is an event, not a person. You will get all you want in life if you help enough other people to get what they want. People often say motivation doesn't last. Neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. <laughs> His southern humor, he's, uh, he's a Texan. There has never been a statue erected to, to honor a critic. In other words, they've never set up a statue for somebody who's doing this groaning and complaining. If you're going looking for a friend, you're going to find that they're scarce. But if you go out to be a friend, you'll find that they're everywhere. And a goal properly set is halfway reached. Set your heading. Apply your attitude to build altitude. And finally, obedience determines identity. Obedience determines identity. Over and over in this passage, even up to the end of this chapter, we see obey, obedient, follow, compliance with what Christ would want us to do. And sadly, we live in a time where it seems anything goes. We're seldom obedient to anything or anyone or any object, but we are obedient only to our egos or our own desires. Our submission to those desires often cause our brokenness, but without any light to shine through. Our submission to God, our obedience to Him, allows us to be like those shining stars that Paul mentions in verse 15. Not grumbling, not complaining, because that type of arguing dims your luminescence. You can't dim him, but you can sure extinguish that little light that you're on going to carry by not lifting him up.
Look at verse 12. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He tells us that we have always obeyed and keep working out your salvation. Well, I don't know, first off, that we've always obeyed. <clears throat> I think sometimes we have failed to obey. But before we go there, look at that latter part, working out your salvation. Not that our salvation is based on our works. We, we did a whole study in James talking about faith and that a living faith is a working faith and a faith that is alive is producing works. Uh, we are created to have a relationship with the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit. But sometimes that relationship that we are to have with Him becomes like this beauty that we saw yesterday at Cars and Coffee. That is a chopped top 50 mercury. Lead sled, some would call it. And the man that owned it had bought it from the guy who paid to have it restored. And talking with him, my kids were talking, I picked up different, different pieces of the conversation. I understand that when he bought it, it had a little over 60 some odd miles on it. And when he found the man who had done, I mean, it's on a Monte Carlo frame. I think he said it has a Camaro front end. I, I forget what engine it has, but it's just, and it's just flawless on the inside. It's a beautiful car. And he said, I found the guy who had done the restoration, had done that conversion. And he said, uh, how many miles it got on now? He goes, well, it's got 60 some odd. He said, well, it had 50 some odd when I sold it. So the man who had bought it had had it for 15 years and kept it in his garage. The owner told me that the chrome, and look at all that chrome, uh, had all become tarnished and he had to polish all that chrome out. And I wonder how many times we have this beautiful thing called our faith in Jesus Christ and we seal it in a garage. We, we don't get it out. And, and I mean, if you had something like that, would you drive it? Well, you might be afraid to. But let me tell you, if the Lord is in the car with you, you've got the right amount of insurance. And it won't matter if you do burn up in flames he is going to bring you another ride okay go back to verses 1 and 5 1 through 5 of chapter 2 if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like minded be obedient identify with the one who sent you do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Trouble is, we haven't always obeyed God. He says in that verse, earlier verse 12, I said, you have always obeyed. I don't know that we always have. And when we fail to see him with the fear and trembling that this earlier passage, these earlier verses bring to my mind, the name above all names, above all things, when we don't approach him that way, we're bound to fall. You know, obedience to authority is often visual. Here's a little video clip I want to show you. BBC. I'm sorry, if you don't mind crossing here, that would be great. Thank you.
We like to think of ourselves as independent and not easily bossed around. We take pride in the fact that we question things that are told to us and we question what people tell us to do. But how true is this really? Some smart folk in the 70s showed that people were more likely to take orders from someone dressed in a policeman's uniform than someone dressed in normal clothes. I'm going to assume the role of an authority figure. Got my serious jacket on, got my heels, Ivers jacket, clipboard. Will people be more likely to take orders from me in my uniform or in my normal clothes? Give me your most authoritarian face. <laughs> Oh, you can't step on there. I'm sorry. You cannot step on this um, this area. Why not? It's not allowed at the moment. I'm sorry. And the reason why? Oh, I'd, I'd better get off there quickly if I were you. <laughs> you can walk on the black line. That'd be great. Because <laughs> we're keeping it free. Oh, Thank you. Free. Yeah, Thank that would be great. I'll let it go one Hi. more. There's I'm one sorry, more. we've got no standing policy on the bridge. No standing on the bridge. Really? Yeah. No standing? No, so you've got to keep walking. That's okay. Yeah, you've got to keep walking, thanks. Yeah. I'm sorry, sir, we have a no standing policy on the bridge. Oh, actually, yeah. No problem, thank you. You can cross, just hold on to the bridge, that's it. Okay. Not gonna die. Yeah, it's just safety measure. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll help you along. Thanks very much. There was definitely more of an authority when I was wearing my high vis. High vis. So, what does that mean for us in determining our uh, identity and the fact of who we're obedient to? I know many of us. You you can identify each other by their jobs, by their education, by their finances, and you you say that's your identity. Well, your identity. I believe through these scriptures should come through your relationship in Jesus Christ. And sometimes you may not be able to see the yellow jacket of God, you know, that yellow vest and go, oh, that's God leading me in that direction. But you do have a yellow jacket contained in these words here. You have the voice of authority that's been printed for us, that has been passed down from one generation to another, the inspired word of God that says that Jesus Christ is above all. And Paul lifts him up and says, he is to be who we mimic. He is to be who we pattern ourselves after. He is the benchmark. He is who we strive to be like and to follow him. So obedience to him determines the identity of the Christian. I saw that obedience to God and the servanthood that he'll talk about later on through verses 14 and following. Uh, yesterday at our shrimp boil. There were people cooking, there were people serving, there were people who were eating and just enjoying themselves while others are bringing them stuff and then, you know, cleaning the table. And, and we had the food drive yesterday that the community did and I got by there after cars and coffee and most of it was winding down. But there were people who were from our church there who were serving, serving the community. We had people at our meal yesterday serving our community and our, obviously our church. That points to your identity, your actions, why you did what you did, those of you who were serving. Hopefully it's because of your obedience to the Savior. Howard Hendricks is a beloved, he's gone on to be with the Lord, was a beloved uh, professor at Dallas Theological. 
Uh, I used some of his stuff uh, probably in the 90s when he was the most prominent, uh, I guess, uh, um, commentator. But um, he told of a time when he was in D.C. at a national prayer breakfast. And those of us who've been in the military or been in any kind of larger corporation where there are large annual prayer breakfasts, you know what they're like. And he said this one was full of politicians and military people, people working in the D.C., the Pentagon area. And he said at 6.30 it started promptly and at 7.30 it was to be done. And he was the speaker. And he said as soon as it got over, he said most of the people hit the door, you know, just like the cockroaches when you turn the lights on, they're gone. None of you got cockroaches. You don't know what I'm talking about. But he said, people are scattered everywhere. And he said, all of a sudden behind me, he said, I saw chairs being stacked. And he said, I turned around and noticed that not only was the person stacking chairs, he'd gone to pick up paper on the ground. And it was a senator. And he gave the name of the senator. And I know the name. But it's not important because I'm not pushing politics. I'm pushing the behavior. Because he said, the man did not obviously care about the status of being an elected senator in this nation. He was more concerned about being a servant. Now, granted, some of you are cynicals like me. Well, oh, I bet he was doing it because he thought other people would see him. Well, if he was... That's on them, and he was still doing the role of servanthood. Paul is telling us to be humble, to be this servant like Christ has been a servant for us. Let Christ then, this week in your life, shine through your service to him, not in service to yourself. Broken to shine. Break the old habits of greed, of selfishness, and of complaining, and even the pride that often causes us to fail, and have the attitude to seek the altitude of being with Christ Jesus. See how our fellowship, see how your life will change, and see how our church fellowship will soar with him. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come to a time of invitation. If there's one today, Lord, that has never accepted your son as Savior, I pray that they wouldn't let this opportunity go by. Lord, he came, he died, he was victorious over the grave, and so many times we know that, but we have never followed that statement that with an understanding and a changing of our hearts. So if there's someone today who's still living seeking their own identity through their own satisfaction. We pray that they would be obedient to the Savior, find identity as a follower of Christ, and change their attitudes to find the altitude to soar with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hear our prayer, Lord, for I ask it in the name of Jesus.